Well, if you have your Bibles there, you can turn back to that passage we read from earlier. And our focus for study this evening will be at John chapter 14, verses 1 to 4. John 14, verses 1 to 4. We're going to be thinking about another I am saying of Jesus over the course of this communion season. And uh, as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table tonight, our theme is reassurance for troubled hearts. Reassurance for troubled hearts. Twelve men are gathered together in a small, dimly lit room. One of them is a teacher, the rest are his followers. And for the last three years, this group has been inseparable. They have witnessed and experienced things that they never thought they would. They've enjoyed highs of popularity, large crowds following them. They've had the lows of those same crowds, many of them turning back and enemies snapping at their heels and criticizing them and threatening them. But in these last few moments, they have become increasingly fearful. (coughs) Their leader, the man they have come to believe to be the Messiah, promised to them in the word of God, has been talking about leaving them. In fact, he's been talking about going to Jerusalem and being killed And his followers don't want to believe it, but he seems to be completely serious and keeps repeating himself over and over again. There were 12 of these followers originally following their teacher, but one of them, a traitor, has just moments ago left the room in mystery. Their teacher has also warned them that all of them will fall away on account of him, that they're all going to abandon him just when he needs them most. Try to imagine how the disciples of Jesus are feeling at this moment. They've been trying their best to understand Jesus, but they can't. Everything he says seems to be so overwhelming, so impossible, so heartbreaking, that it's too much for them to take in. But it's in this moment, friends, that Jesus Christ, our precious Saviour, comforts the souls of his beloved and bedraggled disciples. As I mentioned earlier, never mind the fact that he's the one who's going to suffer unspeakably in a short time. Beatings and mockings and torture and execution. Never mind that Jesus himself, we know, was greatly troubled and more so as this evening wore on. As he prepared to carry the weight of his people's sin on his shoulders. Despite all that Jesus is going to face, he's the one here comforting his disciples. As we prepare to come to the Lord's table this weekend, we want to consider the reassurances that Jesus gave his disciples before he went to the cross. It's a good way for us to prepare to observe this sacrament. Perhaps in one way or another, we might need reassurance this evening. We certainly go through times of anxiety or struggle of one form or another. Perhaps we wrestle with doubts of one form or another. Perhaps we're worried or busy or tired as this working week draws to a close. But I want us to come to the Lord's table this, on this Lord's Day coming reassured by Jesus. And so we're going to consider the words that he speaks here to his disciples in the upper room. Three, uh, three words of reassurance uh, this evening. First of all, Jesus reassures us that we do not need to be anxious We do not need to be anxious. Look at John 14 verse 1. 
Jesus says to his disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now notice here the commands that Jesus gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. In other words, don't worry. Do not be anxious. Believe in God. Believe in me. We read earlier from chapter 13, we saw how Jesus spoke openly about the fact that one of the disciples was going to betray him. It turns out to be Judas. Uh, The disciples were completely taken aback by this. Because we know the story, we sort of think, well, Judas probably always looked a bit shifty. But that's not how it was. The disciples were in total shock about who was going to betray Jesus. And then turning from Judas, Jesus says that all of them are going to fall away from, from him. Uh, And Peter speaks up, of course, we read it earlier, and says, I'll never fall away from you. And Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. And all of this is troubling the disciples. Jesus can see it in their eyes. It's just just one piece of bad news after another that Jesus seems to be giving to them uh, on this night in the upper room. Disciples think, why does he keep saying these things? And so... Having truthfully told them what is about to happen, Jesus reassures them by saying, do not worry, do not fear. It's the most frequently repeated command in the scriptures. A little later in the upper room, he's going to say to them, in this life you will have many troubles, but fear not, I have overcome the world. And so he keeps repeating to them on this night of nights, fear not. As well as saying that, he says to them here in verse 1, Believe in God, believe also in me. The Greek there is a little bit tricky, but certainly Jesus is commanding the disciples to believe in him just as they should or would believe in God the Father. In other words, he's saying to them, You have no more, you have no more reason to doubt uh, me than to doubt your, your Father in heaven, to doubt to doubt." The God of, 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 of creation, the God of scripture, the, the God that you worship. Leo Morris says, It is one thing for the disciples to have faith in the God who acted in the days of old, which, which they did, of course. It's another thing for them to have faith in the Jesus who stands before them, especially when he is even then being betrayed by one of his followers and about to be denied three times, abandoned by the rest, and crucified by his enemies. And so Leah Morris there is saying to us. Think about what was going through the minds of the disciples. Doubts might have been forming in their minds. Is, is this the Messiah or not? Is, is Jesus our saviour or not? He's talking here about being betrayed. Judas has just left. What's going to happen next? And Jesus is reassuring them. He's saying don't start doubting me now. Just the way you believe in God and heaven, believe in me as well. Jesus is not making suggestions here, friends, when he says, do not fear. Maybe that's the way we sometimes take Jesus' words. We take them as suggestions. It's not a suggestion. He is graciously comforting his disciples here, but he is also directly commanding them. Do not fear. Don't lose your faith now. Don't lose hope now. I am your saviour. I am your shepherd. I am your God. I am your king. Believe in me. 
Isn't it immensely comforting, friends, to see the, the pastoral care of Jesus, so to speak, on full display here? That, that he doesn't just expect, what would you call it? Blind faith isn't the right word, but, but he sees into the hearts of his disciples. And he doesn't just dismiss their doubts and their worries and say, oh, would you just wise up? Do you not know by now who I am? He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. I know you're afraid. I know you're, you're restless, you're worried. I know the doubts are rising in your minds, but do not be anxious. And again, he's, he's saying all this in the midst of the growing burden of what he is about to do, settling in in his own mind and heart. And yet here he is caring for his own sheep before he cares for himself. And just as he saw into the hearts of his disciples that night, friends, he sees into the hearts of each of us here this evening or at any other time in our lives. And those worries or doubts that we might not even be able to fully articulate, Jesus understands. Matthew Henry says, Our Lord Jesus is acquainted with all our undiscovered sorrows. All our undiscovered sorrows. The things that we can hardly even articulate. The things that we maybe think no one else even understands or, or we're too bashful to tell, about, tell them to anyone else. Jesus is acquainted with them. He knows the worries you have this evening. The things that are making you tired. The things that are making you have doubts. The particular sins that you're wrestling with. And he lovingly but firmly says to you and I, as we prepare to come to his table, do not let your hearts be troubled. Unbelievers have reason for their hearts to be troubled. Unbelievers have reason to be fearful of sickness or loss of employment or death because they are not yet equipped, they're not yet enabled to face those things with faith. To face those things with Christ as their shepherd. If you're not a Christian this evening, then you should be afraid of those things. And you do have reason for your heart to be troubled. But to Christ's people, to those who know him and love him, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Of course, Jesus here is again claiming his own divinity. The writer of the Hebrews says Jesus is the radiance of God, the exact imprint of his nature. What's true of God the Father is true of God the Son in that he is eternal and he is holy and he is righteous and he is altogether perfect and free from sin. It's as true of Jesus as it is of the Father that from years which no beginning had to years unending, you are God as the psalmist says. And yet God the Son became a man. He got up from his throne and stooped down to wash the dirty feet of these disciples and to set the captives free and to tell us, let not your hearts be troubled. And so remember those words, loved ones, as you prepare to come to the table this weekend. You're coming to the table of the one who has never failed you, never misled you. You're coming to the table of your shepherd, your king and your saviour who is given his life for you. You can trust him when he says, believe in God, believe also in me. 
So the first cause of, of reassurance that Jesus gives us this evening, we do not need to be anxious. Second reassurance that he gives us in this passage is that we will always be with Jesus. We will always be with Jesus. Look at verses 2 and 3. Verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Paul echoes Jesus' language in 1 Thessalonians 4 when he describes the return of the Lord Jesus and our bodily resurrection. And Paul finishes that passage by saying, so we will always be with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. And again, in that passage, Paul is reassuring his readers about those believers who have died before the return of Christ. In those early days of the church, people thought, is Jesus not going to come back extremely quickly? And, and then Christians begin dying and Jesus hasn't come back yet. Paul says, don't worry. We'll be with them. We'll all be resurrected. We will always be with the Lord. And that's what Jesus says here as well. I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. We are always going to be with Jesus. Is that not a wonderful thing to meditate upon as we prepare to come to the table, friends? That's what will make heaven, heaven. The fact that we will be with Christ. It's funny sometimes when someone in your family has maybe had the chance to go to an amazing once-in-a-lifetime trip or on a once-in-a-lifetime holiday and they can't stop talking about it afterwards. Uh, and yet they, they can't quite explain how good it was. And they just end up telling you, oh, you had to be there. You had to be there. Members of my family have uh, ended up saying that. I give them a bit of grief for how much they go on about a certain holiday destination that they enjoyed a couple of times in their lives. They always talk about it. And they say, oh, you just you cannot imagine how good it is. You just have to go yourself. Maybe our children have been frustrated because we've tried to explain to them how good uh, some experience or some holiday or some treat is going to be that we're going to take them on. And they say, but what's it going to be like? And we end up perhaps saying, look, it's going to be really good and we'll be there together. You'll see it, you'll enjoy it, and we'll all be there together. We often have a lot of questions about heaven. And the Bible does answer some of them. There's some helpful writings, Christian books you can read about, about some of the questions we have about heaven. But really, this is all we need to know about it. We will be there with Christ. We will be there with Christ and with one another. The Puritan Thomas Boston said, Jesus Christ will remain the everlasting bond of union between God and the saints. And this is the great promise Jesus is making to the disciples here. He says, yes, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. We can look forward to heaven and beyond that, the new heavens and the new earth. Why do we look forward to it? Because we'll be with Jesus. And yes, we'll enjoy a world made new and bodies made new and all those wonderful things. But most importantly, we will be with Jesus and he elaborates a little bit on this here. He says in verse 2, 
In my father's house are many rooms. Uh, Those words would have reminded these Jewish men of their Jewish marriage customs. In that time and place, a bridegroom would prepare for the marriage to his bride. Most people of a a lower income, the, the, the very wealthy might have been able to do things differently. But most people, they would prepare for their marriage by building on another room to their house. We would call it putting on an extension. Um, the bridegroom would ensure well before the marriage that there was plenty of space in the family home for himself, his bride, and in God's timing, children to come along if that was his will. A bridegroom wouldn't come to his wedding day without that important preparation done. And Jesus here uses the language of a well-prepared bridegroom to reassure his disciples there are many rooms. In other words, there there is a place for all of you You're not going to get there and find out that there's no space for you. All of you have your place in my father's house. We've seen in the time we've spent in John's gospel at communion that Jesus has said over and over again, this is a feature of John's gospel, how he emphasizes the relationship between him and his father, that he has come down from heaven to do his father's will. He is the father's perfect representative on the earth. So when Jesus says here that there's a place for all his followers in his father's house, he's telling us, friends, that's how God our father has planned it. This is not the son telling us something that the father disagrees with or doesn't know about. God the father sent God the son to tell us about this, that our place in heaven is guaranteed. How is our place guaranteed? How are we imperfect, sinful unholy men and women sure of having a place with Christ in heaven. Well, notice that twice here, verses two and three, Jesus says that he is going to prepare a place for us. He's referring there to his death on the cross in our place for our sins. Christians have perhaps misunderstood those words of Jesus in the past. I don't know if I was the only one, maybe when I was a child, who thought that you know some notion of Jesus going to get heaven ready. Um, that's not what Jesus means here. The only preparation that needed to be made for us to go to heaven was for the Son to go to the cross and to suffer the punishment that our sins deserved. That's why later John records those precious words of Christ uttered at the cross. It is finished. It's finished. The preparation is finished. The bearing of our sin, the removal of the guilt that would have prevented us from having a room, having a place in heaven. Jesus has dealt with it. He has prepared a place for us. And of course, three days later, that was all confirmed with his glorious resurrection. We're so much more privileged, aren't we, than these poor disciples were the night before Jesus died. Remember at this point, friends, they don't yet have the special anointing of the Holy Spirit that they would have from Pentecost onwards. They didn't understand everything yet as they huddled together in this room with Jesus. But we can look back as one day they were able to do as well. And we can see that the preparation is done. And we can know that heaven is waiting for us. To use the illustration again of a bridegroom and a bride. When 
When a bridegroom makes his vows to his bride or she makes hers to him. About providing for one another and protecting one another and uh, caring for one another. Of course they mean it and they've thought it through. But the reality is that that relationship is so fragile. Tragedy could strike at any moment. And those vows come to an end. But our relationship with Jesus, our union with Christ is not fragile. Matthew Henry again says, Christ loves us too well and means us too well to disappoint us or to leave us to be of all men most to be miserable who have been of him the most observant. In other words, Jesus is too great a saviour to let us down. He's kept all his other promises. Why would he not keep this one as well? Do you often think of heaven? Perhaps as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, we should think about it more. Forget whatever vague ideas people have about heaven, the, you know, the cartoonish, silly things about clouds and harps. It's being with Christ. It's where we get to see him face to face and say thank you and live and work and worship perfectly in his glorious presence to the glory of God. So as we come to the table, we remind ourselves of the preparation that our bridegroom has made for us. We'll think more about it on the Lord's day, his his death, his going to the cross, his offering up of his body, his pouring out of his blood. But as well as looking back on that preparation, we also look forward to being with him. Remember that the text says, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes and takes us to glory with him. And so in the middle, friends, of the mundane, the routine, the testing, the anxious times in life, be reassured, Christ has a place for you. We will always be with him. So we do not need to be anxious. We will always be with Jesus. And thirdly and finally, we do know the way to heaven. We do know the way to heaven. Look at verses four and five. Jesus says, you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Thomas is not being flippant or cynical here, friends. He he really doesn't understand. Again, we need to put ourselves in the shoes of these men at this moment. Uh, And the increasing questions and frustrations and misunderstanding that's gathering up in their hearts. They're overwhelmed by everything that Jesus has been saying. Now, do they know the way to heaven? Yes, they do. Jesus says they do. Verse four, you know the way to where I am going. If Jesus says they know, they know. But they're confused and they're tired and they're anxious and they're just not able to think things through. Parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, how do you deal with little children when when this is when they're like this, when they're upset, when they're just tired out and maybe the busyness of another day is just causing them to just be all over the place emotionally. You don't get cross with them in those moments. You don't give them a a talking to in those moments. You comfort them. You're gentle with them. You remind them of the things that they know deep down to be true. And that's what Jesus does here with the disciples. He graciously reminds them of what they really do know. 
And he utters the words, friends, that bring John's stunning gospel to such a wonderful crescendo, if you like. Look at verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We'll think more about those words on the Lord's day, God willing. But just notice again here, friends, that like many of the other I am statements that we've looked at, Jesus doesn't deliver it in a lecture hall to the theological or social elites. He reveals this wonderful, central, crucial truth about himself to a bunch of tired, anxious men, simple, ordinary men like you and me. And again, soon after this, Jesus will need comforted himself and his disciples will be asleep. But here he comforts them and reassures them. What a good and gracious saviour we have. Sometimes we feel as though we hardly know which way to turn next in the midst of life's trials and anxieties. I'm sure for many of us, as we enter into September, just all of a sudden the weeks are so busy again. And it can all come at us to the point where we're just exhausted or irritable or anxious. Sometimes in our spiritual lives, we have doubts, we have temptations, we have real struggles in our hearts. And we hardly know which way to turn. But if your trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ, you do know which way to turn. Because he is the way. He is the way. He doesn't show us the way. He doesn't suggest us the the way. He doesn't say... Off you go that way. I've shown you the way and now get on with it yourself. He is the way and the truth and the life. He is the resurrection. He is the way to heaven. And he continues to minister to us by his word and spirit today. Maybe you've heard people say, well, you know, I think getting to heaven is a lot like climbing a mountain. And, you know, there's all sorts of different ways you could climb, sleeved honoured or wherever else you like to go. And you'll get to the top whatever way you take. And so no matter which religion or lifestyle you choose, you'll get there somehow. Forget about the mountain. Jesus, the Son of God, has come down the mountain to us so that we don't even need to try and climb up by ourselves. He is the way. And so, friends, we do know the way. As we look out at our confused and suffering world with so much So much moral confusion, so much social confusion, so much anxiety and tension building in countries like ours. We know the way. We know the way as we look at our own sin and struggles. Jesus has died for those sins and those struggles. We know as we gather together for worship, Jesus is not just my saviour, he's our saviour. It's not just that I have a relationship with Jesus that Jesus works for me. Jesus is what all these other people need as well. He's changed their lives as he has changed my life. Jesus is the way. Do you know that today? Thomas knew it, but he'd forgotten it. Do you know it this evening? Can you take comfort from it? Will it encourage you and help you as you prepare to come to the Lord's table? You know the way to where I am going. I am the way. Thomas was honest. Thomas was scared. But Thomas was wrong. He and the disciples and us.
do know the way. So here are three wonderful assurances, reassurances for us, friends, to meditate upon as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. We do not need to be anxious. We will always be with Jesus. And we do know the way to life eternal with God. Take these reassurances and like like the cold water that perhaps some of us were guzzling down today, let them refresh you. Let them encourage you. Let them prepare you to come to the table of the one who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Amen.